Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June the 8th, 2022. As always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco on the west coast of the United States. We had an election here yesterday that um, perhaps in some ways only inflamed the political divisions within San Francisco, a city profoundly politically divided, like the United States itself. Sometimes living in America is like being part of a family on the verge or in the process of divorce. Ed Luce, one of my favorite uh, columnists at the FT, um, who's been on the show, had a piece today uh, in America on, on the brink of January 6th hearings. America, he says, is uh, two nations barely on speaking terms. I think he's right, although I'm not even sure if I would include the barely. They're not on speaking terms. We've had lots of shows about how to get America to Americans to start talking to one another with people like Justin Guest, who talks about a post-racial civic identity. Uh, he has a new book out, Majority Minority. The problem, though, with arguments of people like Guest is they assume that they're right and that they're the winners and their version of reality is the one that wins out, which I'm not always convinced with. Uh, America does indeed seem on the verge of civil war. We did shows earlier this year with Barbara Walter, who has a new book out, How Civil Wars Start, and with the Canadian journalist Stephen Marsh um, on... Um, uh, the potential collapse of a divided America. He believes that America is already in civil war. So how are we going to deal with that? How are we going to think about it? We're going to be a little experimental today. Rather than doing sociology or history or journalist, I have a very talented author, fiction writer, expert on experimental theater on the show today, uh, Nandita Dinesh, who has a new novel out, uh, it's out this week, called This Place, That Place, which is a novel about how people um, who aren't on speaking terms learn to speak to one another. I hope I got that right, Nandita. Is that fair? That That is a fair description, yeah. One of the threads in the book is is trying to understand how people who are outside and inside a particular kind of conflict might find a way to, to connect with each other. You're absolutely right. Nandita, you and I are neighbors, as it happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. I actually thought you lived in Asia, but you have recently moved to San Francisco. Um, uh, you teach at a high school. You're part of a uh, you manage um, uh, an institute at a high school. Do you agree with what I suggested at first in terms of your initial experience of America? I know you've been very influenced by, in terms of writing this book, about mm. highly divided, violently divided societies like Kashmir, mm. Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, Guatemala, Mexico, Northern Ireland. Does America, do you think, fit into that category? It's fascinating that, that you mentioned that because, you know, I think a long time ago, um, I've been living in and outside of the United States for a long time. When I first came here, I was a student. Um, and then the narrative was very much, you know, you're going to the United States and this it's this place that's so different and doesn't see the kind of conflicts that we, we see at home um, in India. 
But I think, you know, this time, Andrew, since I've moved back in, in I moved back to the States in 2015 in New Mexico and, and most recently to San Francisco, there does seem to be this, this violent undercurrent. Um, and I don't necessarily mean violence in terms of physical violence, but uh, various kinds of violence that seem to exist here. And, and the other day, as I, as I took my dog for a walk in my neighborhood in San Francisco, I found myself thinking, I guess I do live in some kind of war zone after all. Um, and so, yes, I think there's something about your premise that does ring through ring true you know it's it's wasn't there's this huge debate about war not just being an absence of peace but that war can actually manifest in times of quote unquote peace as well right and and i wonder if if that's a climate that we're living in now here uh you've chosen i mean you're not you're not claiming to be an expert on america but you've chosen to write about um, the inability to talk to one another, not in a, a sociological or a psychological or a historical way, but rather in a fictional way. Your background is in theater. Why did you choose fiction, Nandit? So for since about 2015, um, I've been writing a lot. And, and I started my, my journey as a writer through academic writing um, and eventually writing drama. Um, and the type of theater that, were, that I was most interested in is a form that's called applied theater, where scripts, you don't start a work of performance from an existing script, but you create the script with your collaborators. Um, and there's been various instances over the years, Andrew, and I'm happy to get into whichever one of them might, might be of most interest to this audience. Um, when I was working in Rwanda and, and most recently in Kashmir, where basing a piece about a highly contested region um, and basing it on quote unquote fact, I realized was a recipe for disaster. And insofar as often people would get caught up in what I would consider the, the details, right? So, so they would say, well, you know, you've actually blamed this person too much and you play, you blame that person too little. And actually, according to my perspective, that happened in this year and not that year. And, and while there is certainly some merit to those detail-oriented discussions, perhaps in, in more historical contexts, uh, as, as a theater artist, um, it just seemed like it was getting away from what I was trying to accomplish with my work, which was to say, let's talk about some of the murkier areas of war where it's really hard to separate victim from perpetrator sometimes. Um, and when I saw that the work just was getting unwieldy and, and getting away from what I envisioned it as, um, Chronicles from Kashmir, which was the most recent production that we did, ended up getting embroiled in various kinds of controversy and censorship. That's when it seemed like fiction would be a much better way to tell some of these stories without getting hung up on who's being blamed, more or less. You know? There's a, I'm not sure if it's the right word, a dystopian element, potentially a dystopian element to your work a suggestion of dystopia, shall we say. Yeah. I wouldn't call it a dystopian novel. Most of the dystopias these days, um, and, and Andita, and we've had lots of people on the show, including the San Francisco writer Dave Eggers, mm -hmm. uh, place technology at the heart of our 21st century mm. dystopia. You don't. For you, technology is much less important than the act or the failure to converse. Is that fair? I think so. And I wonder if, Part of that has to do with 
That's an astute observation. I'm not surprised because I was reading about your interest in, in technology yesterday. Um, and it makes perfect sense that you would notice that. The context in which I've worked, Andrew, in times of curfew, in times of conflict, the thing that goes away first is technology. Um, so the in internet is cut off. Um, the te television channels, cable TV doesn't work. Phone lines go down. So it's almost, for me, it was just a, a retelling of something that I've seen in the kinds of conflict zones that I've been to, um, where the first thing that goes when the places in power are trying to keep communities in check is to turn off their access to technology, right? Um, which in a way it goes, goes back to the previous question you, you brought up, which is, I suppose that's a different type of war um, or dystopic reality right. that we're seeing in the United States. I mean, when we think about what's happening in Russia, for example, um, Putin has turned off the technology so that Russians can't exactly. read the other opinion. In America, the problem is not just a single opinion. The problem is too many. Uh, and people choose to live in their own echo chambers. Mm -hmm. As I said, I, I know you've been inspired in part by Kashmir, also by Northern Ireland, um, and, and you grew up uh, in, in, in South Asia. Are there models of society which have learned to talk to one another that you have taken for uh, your, your fiction? Uh, are there places that have figured out how to talk to one another? I mean, Israel clearly isn't an example. Um, perhaps Mexico, perhaps Northern Ireland, because um, whilst the peace may not be permanent, it's as yeah. good a peace as anywhere else uh, post-Civil War in the world. I wish I could say that there was, but at least, you know, in, in, in my experience of the conflict zones, speaking only from my experience, of course, I haven't seen a society that's figured it out. Um, I, I've seen moments of hope, and I think that's why this place, that place is centered on the relationship between two people um, rather right. than, than groups. Um, because the, the places where I found the most hope of, of possibility is, is in these moments where people come together and are willing to put away the baggage of what their governments and the larger communities tell them to do. Um, but in terms of larger societies themselves, you know, in every place I've I've been to, again, Rwanda, um, Kashmir, Nagaland, I would say, um, yeah, South Africa as well, most recently, right? So that there is a narrative of things moving in the right direction, but it's almost like if you start picking at it, um, everything starts unraveling in, in, a, in a bizarre way, you know? Your work in experimental theater very much comes through in, in the work. What have you learned from a career thinking about acting and, 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 and innovating in acting and in theater, which is helpful for this place, that place, and has enabled you to write this kind of book? I think one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is the notion of time. Um, time has played a really important role in, in my theatrical experiments. So the piece that I referenced earlier, Chronicles from Kashmir, it actually manifested as a 24-hour theatrical experience. So our audiences had to come and live with us for a day. Um, and in that day, they had to experience various complexities to, to life in the Kashmir Valley. Um, and I say that because when someone is studying theater and I was formally educated in theater, right, there is this 
expectation that a play is contained within, you know, roughly two hours, there's an intermission, um, and so on and so forth. And so coming into this idea that every play has the duration that fits it, um, and how you play with time can be a really important part of how you tell a story. I think that finds a significant um, role in this place, that place, where there is a lot of different kinds of meditation about the role of, of time. Um, so I think time is an important element. Uh, the second one, um, the second question that I think about a lot in, in my theater work is when you start making theater about questions of social justice, about sociopolitical issues, there's a fine line between art and propaganda. Um, and often I've found... Yeah, and it's not even that fine. You know, often when people talk about that, you know exactly where they're coming from and it certainly excludes people. Exactly. And, and I guess that's where, for me, the intersections between theatre and education have been really important. And just as, you know, in my classroom, I would want my students to figure out what they think. Um, I think that's also shaped my work as a, as a theatre director and now as a writer, is that I don't want to prescribe... Um, hey, you need to think this when you walk away from my play or from my book. I, I'd much rather hear about the questions it brings up for you. Uh, Nandita, we've done many shows, one uh, about the ideal, one might even say that the fetish of, of storytelling, the idea that everything's a story and we need to be perpetually telling stories, which may or may not be true. Do you think in terms of these countries that or communities like America where people are no longer on speaking terms, people need to think that they're participating in a story, that mm. they're on a stage, that we're all in a theater. I know it's a bit abstract, maybe a little bit pretentious, but that might be a first step in getting out of this horrible divorce that we all seem to be living through. Mm. And, and I, you know, going back to your, your earlier comment about technology as well, right? I think what these forums have allowed to happen is is everyone thinks that they are in the limelight right that that everyone yeah. is deserving off the spotlight and and i could argue the i could argue that both ways the ways in which it's been empowering and then absolutely catastrophic um but i think that's part of it right people want to see themselves in things because it allows this newfound sense of agency that i suppose um many feel like they lack right um and so certainly there is this desire i think for people to immerse themselves in in the world of the story in a way that i'm i'm, I'm curious how this place that place will function for that reason right it's it's intentionally almost brechtian um it, it sort of tries to alienate the reader and and focus more on critical empathy you're gonna put people off if you if you say it's trying to alienate the reader now you want <laughs> no, people no, to no. buy the book you don't want to alienate your readers <laughs> no no I, I mean you know this this idea that if you are too involved in the emotional catharsis that perhaps you are not not thinking enough about about your role in the narrative and so alienation being this technique we talk about a lot in theater right attributed to Brecht um, a German theater maker this this idea that keeping yourself one step removed engaged enough but removed um, becomes necessary to foster something that he would call critical empathy um, rather than empathy that's unable to be 
critical. So that's something I love playing with. And I think that's something that is, is evident in, in the novel structure. And I'm curious to see how readers respond to that. Brecht, of course, was around in the Weimar Republic, another period of great civil discord that resulted in true tragedy post-Weimar. So uh, it's an interesting uh, comparison. Um, uh, Nandita, who, who, who's influencing you in terms of this work? I know you, 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 you wrote through COVID and, of course, the great novel of the COVID age is Camus' The Plague uh, two years ago when this show went daily. Uh, I always ask for people for literary recommendations at the end and I banned them referring to Camus' Plague because everyone was talking about it. But this seems to be a sort of an abstract book about division and sickness yeah. and the inability to talk to one another that might be one inspiration for, for your new book. Um, thank you for that. I, I, don't, I don't know that work by Camus. Um, one of the inspirations for me was uh, Manuel Puig, um, the Argentine mm. writer, and his book Kiss of the Spider Woman. Um, I think that was one of the first novels I read that that so centralized dialogue um, and was still considered a novel. And you'll see so many resonances, right? Puig's novel focuses on two characters who are stuck alone in a prison, a literal prison. Um, and in this, the prison is a little more metaphorical, but it's still prison-like. Um, but I, I think an inspiration for this book was very much um, Kiss of the Spider Woman, for sure. And of course, Latin America is also very familiar with profoundly, tragically divided societies, peoples unable to talk to one another. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Talk a little bit more about Kiss of the Spider-Woman, what, what, what the influence on uh, this place, that place of, of that was. Sure. So, so Kiss of the Spider-Woman, sort of a quick summary, it's, it's two prisoners, um, two male prisoners who are stuck in a cell together um, and who spend time talking about movies where, where one of the prisoners is, is constantly talking about the screenplays of movies that he's, he's watched. Um, and the other one is a Marxist revolutionary who's been jailed for being a political dissident. Um, and over the course of the novel through this, this rich and often absolutely confusing dialogue because Puig uses even less, a fewer markers of, of dialogue than I do yeah. in this place, that place. Uh, but it's really, he gives them names, but because the, the lines don't begin with the names, but just begin with these little dashes, it's impossible to tell who's speaking until one of the characters uses the other one's name. Um, and, and so I think there is this um, sense of, of, of not being able to follow exactly who's speaking and that being part of the experience of the book that this place that place has um there's also you know both of the characters in case of the spider woman through the course of the novel end up developing a non-platonic um affection for each other um and eventually in that book it turns out that one of the the prisoners the one who recounts the, the film is actually spying for the government um about this um cope his um, cellmate. And so in that way, that's another thread, I think, that resonates with this place, that place, right, is that in these claustrophobic situations that are almost like contexts of incarceration, they develop these absolutely unlikely and unpredictable bonds 
um, that sometimes seem to transgress the lines of, you know, what is considered platonic and what is considered romantic and what is considered sexual um, in a way that almost surprises even the characters in the book, right? So in case of the Spider-Woman, one of the characters doesn't think that he's attracted to men until he's in this context with this man and they have an affair. Uh, similarly, the two protagonists in, in this place, that place, don't know necessarily the depth of what they feel for one another until the curfew happens and they're stuck together with nowhere to go. Um, so I think there are various ways in which the two books um, speak to each other. Nandita, do we need to start in the South? Talking to you, I'm guessing, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, there are probably two Nandita Dineshes. <laughs> On one hand, there's the highly intellectual one who loves abstraction, highly intellectualized conversation and metaphor. On the other hand, there's the Nandita Dinesh who wants a best-selling book, wants public uh, acclamation, wants interviews like this. Did you need to, when when you wrote... Um, uh, this place, that place. Did the two Nandita Dineshes need to learn to talk to one another? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, you know, I wish I could say no. I wish I could say no. It was just about the the art and the craft of the storytelling, and that's all I was thinking about. But that, that isn't true. Um, I, I think definitely there was a sense of saying, you know, what kind of story could I write? Um, that would that would garner attention, right? Uh, and I think the the interesting struggles came, Andrew, with which you might imagine with a book like this one, trying to find an agent and trying to find a publisher have not been particularly good journeys for my self esteem. Um, so the right, book you succeeded, unlike many people. This is this is a first time novel. It's yeah. hard to get literature published. It's very hard to get this kind of. I don't know what you would call it, metaphorical or intellectually abstract kind of literature published. So it's quite an accomplishment just in itself that it's out. And a little bit of dumb luck, right? Because I think there are there are authors who, who don't have the luck of having these doors open. So I think the point of contention between these different Nanditas that you that you talk about came when I got rejection after rejection for about I think six to eight months, right? Between agents and publishers, there were just so many rejections. And I think that's the point where I had to figure out what was more important was to say, the feedback I'm getting from a lot of people was it's too abstract. Um, you got make it more quote unquote traditional, make it a love story, um, you know, just write it in prose remove all of this different kinds of tech stuff. Um, and for a second, you know, I have to say, I thought about it. Um, I thought about saying, okay, well, clearly there's interest in the premise and maybe if I just change the way I write, um, it would get more attention. I, I would get more interviews. I would get more um, offers for the book. And I think that's that's the point where perhaps, I don't know if I would call it the intellectual Nandita or the, the one that just is driven by this this idea or ideal that I, I want to be able to write how I feel like a story needs to be told and this is how this story needed to be told. Um, and I think that's where it was like, well, you know what, maybe, maybe it doesn't get the spotlight in any way. Maybe it's just a book that 10 people read, which would still be eight more people than who've read my academic writing. Um, and maybe the 10 of us get together and, and talk and that's okay. You know? Um, so I think. But, but my, my, my point, 
and, and I didn't want to, maybe I over-personalized it with you. My point about learning to talk to one another in America or Kashmir or Lebanon or Israel or wherever yeah. is perhaps we need to remind ourselves that we ourselves are also divided, that we yeah. have pieces in ourselves that don't talk to one another. And maybe that's a kind of beginning, perhaps even to acknowledge the parts of ourselves that we put in cupboards that we don't want to recognize. Absolutely. Um, and, and in that sense, uh, apologies if I, if I misunderstood the question. I think there's definitely more than two, right? Um, well, yeah, it's more than two. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's so... I mean, and you touched on the, the, the sexual one from the, the, the Puig book, but yeah. there are many other kinds as well. Absolutely. You know, the part that's, uh, that's still very much rooted in, in growing up in a smallish city in southern India and the part that now lives this quote-unquote cosmopolitan life in San Francisco and, and all of these journeys that have come in between. And yeah, there's just such a multiplicity, right? And I think that's what seems to be lost, not only in the U.S. these days, but perhaps predominantly in, in, in social media spaces in, in the U.S. with a kind of rhetoric that that I see sometimes, um, I've just sort of had to run away from social media, to be honest. It was just too much. Mm. Or perhaps not too much, too little. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, or both simultaneously too much and too little. Your book, your 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 not to show off uh uh Nandita, but it's already come with a lot of very nice blurbs. One from Siddhartha Deb, who is a an Indian writer. Um, and he wrote, now I'm curious what you think of this. He, he wrote a wild inventive novel <laughs> that dismantles the certainties of borders, nations, and empires. Yeah. And what intrigues me is, are borders, nations, and empires, especially nations, they're real. You've referred to yourself as coming from South Asia, from yeah. India. For better or worse, we all live in America. Do we have to acknowledge some realities? There are some certainties, aren't there? Well, there there are insofar as you know we carry passports and and we identify. But those are real. Those are certainties, for better yeah. or worse. Exactly. Yeah, and I I would love to talk to Siddhartha sometime and ask him what he means by dismantling them, right? Um, and, and beyond that, that there are certainties for sure. Um, I I would say that that my way of looking at them is to always try to poke at it, you know, and and try to figure out where the certainties hold and, and where the pressure points are and which certainties seem to, you know, if you push them too much, seem to evoke an intensity of response that others don't. Um, and I think that that's something that I that I enjoy playing with. I would love to hear why Siddhartha said what yeah, he did. We'll have to get Siddhartha on the show. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know him? Or it, did, I, don't, did it... I don't know. Um, I'm sort of very not well-connected uh, in the literary circle. So this was someone that Melville House reached out to. Well, congratulations, Nandita. You, you, you've, you've done the hard thing. You've had a, a first novel published, This Place, That Place. Very relevant, very ambitious, very creative, um, and, and, and a very challenging, and I mean that in the best kind of way, a very challenging read. What else are you reading these days um, in addition to this place, that place? What, what other books uh, are exciting you? I'm a little ashamed to, to, to share this answer because um, it's not a very popular one. But 
I used to be a voracious reader until I started writing. Um, and when I started writing, which was around 2015, 2016, I have to say I've, I've stopped reading um, almost intentionally um, because so much of what I'm trying to figure out is, is what my voice is and what I want to say. And I've realized that the more I read, the more I sound like the people I'm reading. Um, and, and so I've actually not read something in, in a really long time. Uh, that's a very honest response. Uh, but if, if folks are, are curious to, to read the kinds of books that got me to this, to this place, um, other than Kiss of the Spider Woman, one of the books that I've uh, works that I've, I've absolutely been inspired by is 448 Psychosis by this British playwright, Sarah Kane. Um, I think that was one of the first times I read something that was quote unquote a play but that read like poetry um, and then didn't have any characters assigned, had numbers on certain pages and like blank pages in other locations. And for anyone who's sort of questioning why a particular genre needs to look a particular way, I would, I would strongly recommend that book. 